0: going to continue in the sermon series that we mentioned earlier called uh, The Real Jesus because we're in search of the real Jesus, and uh, if you have our church app, again, you can get some helpful information because we're studying out the biography, if you will, of Luke, which documents Jesus' life and primarily his ministry, and so we're making observations about Jesus and what it means to follow the real Jesus, and some of our observations So far, Jesus is powerful. Uh, Jesus was not religious, but he was righteous. Jesus is a world changer who welcomed interruptions. And last week, we talked about how the real Jesus challenges our worldviews. And so we've been having a a united prayer uh, for this series. And so last week, our prayer was, let's all pray for each other, that our church would have the humility to submit our worldview. To the Lordship of Jesus. And now this week, we're going to be talking about how the real Jesus has real expectations. The real Jesus has real expectations. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to be filled up this morning. As we've been singing, I know my heart has been stirred. The words that we have been singing out and the truth in the words, God, and how we can praise you in the mountains or we can praise you on the mountaintop. We can praise you when the mountain is in our way. We can praise you in the valleys. And God, just hearing even John's experience and how you have transformed his view of Jesus God, we pray that whether we've been in the faith for 25 years or we've been here only in the faith for maybe 25 minutes, God, that we can uh, really establish a conviction about who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. And God, I pray right now that you will minister to every soul in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so um, I'm an assistant coach for my son Dominique's baseball team. Amen. I appreciate that. All right. And so this is actually, um, so last year was his first year. He was three years old. I was surprised they were even able to have a league in which you'd have three year olds playing t-ball. And so my expectations going into this were pretty small because I I know my son and we're doing stuff at the house and I I felt like he was pretty good for his age. And then so I figure when we get to t-ball, we're not going to really expect a lot, but just just to have some fun and a little bit of growth. You guys with me here? And then we go there, and the coach, his name is Coach Andrew. Coach Andrew had higher expectations for these kids. And so he's showing them some stuff that's really like, you know, true fundamentals. And I'm going, whoa, my son is three years old. I don't think he's going to get this. And so part of me is getting a little insecure, you know, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You start to say things to hide the fact, like, oh, well, you know, we tried this. Or, you, you know, you start to say something because you're really insecure because you're like, uh-oh, my kid isn't maybe living up to my expectation. And so, therefore, it's an indictment on me. You Parents, you know what I'm talking about. And so, so he's going around and we're doing this. And as the weeks progress, I see, whoa, there's a huge difference between our little t-ball team and every other t-ball team. Our team is roping it. Bink, bink. I mean, we're not hitting off the tee. We're pitching the ball. Everybody else is trying to hit the tee, and they're swinging, hitting the tee all over the place. Our whole team, he's pitching, and kids are beep, 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 and other people are like, what is going on? And I'm sitting there every week, we would feel guilty. We're like, man, our team shouldn't be this good. You you know what I'm saying? Like, I really was. Like, people are like, what are you doing over there? How old are these kids? You know, like, I don't know. Maybe one of them has a driver's license, but still. And so, these, and so we started seeing it, and I'm like, whoa, this is phenomenal. And I think, wow, I'm so grateful for our coach. I'm like, man, he had expectations that led to a different result than everybody else. Because expectations affect your behavior, your view. It affects your life. And the sad truth, spiritually speaking, is that we live in a time, especially in Western society, where many have a false version of Jesus because they believe Jesus has very little to zero expectations for those who would claim to be followers. And so unfortunately, and we've addressed some of these things, as you look at the real Jesus, you start to see, "Wait, he's not the way many people perceive him today, but in the religious circles, the real Jesus isn't what is seen, practiced, preached, taught, or portrayed as well. And so we're going to look and see how Jesus, the real Jesus, has real expectations. Brothers and sisters, are you ready? All right, so here's what I need for you to do, because you're going to take some notes here, okay? All right, and we'll see depending on time here, but I want you to start taking notes as we go through the scriptures, and hopefully I'll give you some time, but take a little bit of time and just write down one expectation you see that Jesus has from the text that we read. All right, church, you with me here? And if you're online, you can go ahead and put it in the chat, all right? So let's go on over to Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Church, are you with me here? Luke chapter 9, we just finished up Luke chapter 8. And we saw some incredible things. And so now we take it up. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Okay, go ahead. Take a real quick second there. Write down what expectations do you see that Jesus has? Again, if you're online, go ahead and type it in the chat there. I'll give you 30 quick seconds, 30 quick seconds. Go ahead and share with the person to your right there, all right? Share with the person to your right. What what stood out to you? Any expectations that Jesus has from this passage that we see? Go ahead and share that with your neighbor. Okay, stop. All right, sorry. I don't know if that was 30 seconds or not. Okay, all right. But hopefully you wrote something down or hopefully even hearing somebody else, you go, hmm, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Here's an observation that I have here for us. Number one here is that Jesus expects participants and not spectators. Did you catch that? He calls the 12 and he says, hey, guys, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to send you out. You have the power and authority to do what I've been doing. And what do they do? They said, no, that's okay, Jesus. No, they went out and did it. The 12 went out and did it, and he expected his father to participate and not just observe what he had been doing. They had seen his ministry. They had been part of his ministry. They saw the work that he was doing, but guess what? Now it was their turn to go out and do it. An interesting, cool thing, just a side note is he qualified them. He was like, you're qualified to do this. I'm sure some were like, I don't think I'm qualified. And some were chopping at the bits like, yeah, here's my chance. But he qualified them. And here's what he told them to do. To do what? To preach and heal. Now think about that for a second. To preach and heal. What does Jesus, what does he want? What, is he, what does he desire for people? He desires not just a part of a person, but the whole person. Yes, there's a spiritual component to my ministry, the salvation, your faith. But then there's just a practical side of life that I want you to be whole in. And so it's not either or, it's all together. And if you see Jesus' ministry, especially as it describes it, it will always say he's preaching, teaching, and healing. And so Jesus' ministry wasn't just, okay, we just preach the word and we just let any need go by. And it wasn't just, hey, we just try to serve needs and we just hope and guess that they'll maybe ask a question about Jesus. No, it was all together. And so the ministry of Jesus, even today, should what? Include some form of physically meeting needs and obviously preaching and teaching. And I'm so grateful that in our church here in North OC, several years ago our core group, our core group got together And just for the family ministry, but it's expanded to all of North OC. And we talked about, hey, what are some of our core values? And so uh, we have five core values in discipleship, our relationship with God, family, the family of believers, our our own physical families, but also evangelism. We want to see Orange County, North OC, we want to see it be reached with the good news but also service, serving each other, but also serving in our communities and fun. And it's so incredible to see our church not just uh, uh, talk about these values, but really make intentional strides to live out these values. And so we've even had recently here, just started back up, our Saturday Academy which we're really excited about. They just started uh, uh, for the first time in a couple years after COVID. And so this is an all oh, man, this is so incredible. And so we're helping fourth and fifth graders in Santa Ana, and, and we're helping them with math, literacy, and character development. And these are situations that are really tough. We're not getting the honor roll students. We're going, hey, can we get the students who are going into the principal's office for behavior issues? Can we have those kids come to our program? And so it's so cool to see it resurrected. And by God's grace, we're having an impact there. We have uh, uh, several members going to Tecate Orphanage trips. We have the food pantry for Cal State Fullerton. We support the, uh, the, the work of Hope Worldwide with the TJ Center of Hope. And, and so some people are going actually to TJ tomorrow uh, to, to go to the Center of Hope. And so it just makes me so proud to see Jesus' followers continuing this ministry today. Amen. And so this is what we are a part of, but we should always be a part of. These should never be just cool additional items. This should always be the core components of our church. And not just as a church, but of us individually. And so we see here the following of real Jesus means participating in Jesus' ministry and not just watching others do it, but we ourselves are participating in it as well. Church, are you with me? And we see this even some more as we look at Luke chapter 9. Let's continue reading here. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethesda. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. It makes sense at this time. There's thousands we're going to read. There's over 5,000 people there. They're going, hey, it makes sense. This is a reasonable thought. This isn't, I don't think, a, a, an evil, wicked thought from the apostles here. But check what Jesus says. He says, you give them something to eat. And they were like, huh? What would you say, gay? You know what I'm saying? They started speaking another language, right? What What language are you speaking, Jesus? Did you give them something? They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Again, what the disciples, their response I don't think is unreasonable. If I were to ask, uh, you know, if I were to ask Daniel Simoki, hey, you know what, man, everybody's hungry after service, and that's real, isn't it? Hey, man, you go ahead and feed these people. Well, well hold on, brother, I, you know, I only make so much money. He would be like, hold on, Marcel. I said, will you give him something? Right? It, it, we, we can understand this. But what is Jesus doing? He's doing a number of things here. He's, he's leading me to understand, hey, God is a God of provision. He will provide. We need to trust him. We need to have faith. But we also need to go ahead and do something ourselves. We need to serve. And again, Jesus is he's caring about the whole, the compassion upon the people. They had been hearing him speak. He's healing, but he knows there's, there's real needs, and therefore we have to do our best to meet those needs. And so again, Jesus is compassion for the whole. And he expected them to take care of the people practically. I just love that sentence, you give them something to eat. Wow. And then Jesus feeds the people, but who actually... Gave the people the food. The disciples did. Huh. That's interesting, isn't it? Wasn't Jesus going around giving all the food? But Jesus was, was preparing it and serving it in whatever miraculous way, right? But it was the disciples. Now here's the interesting part. Throughout this whole part, right before it kept talking about the apostles and the twelve. You remember that? It was apostles who went out and did these things, and then the 12, and then it gets down here, and it says, but now he gave it to all the disciples. Wait a second. All the disciples, Meaning, mean, it was more than just the 12 who were what, participating in Jesus' ministry. It was them, it was all of them who were what, distributing the food. Again, hey, if you're going to follow me, this isn't a spectator sport. You're supposed to participate in this. We all serve. It's not just the leaders who serve. It's not just a few, that 80-20 role. that should never take place in the church because we all contribute. And just imagine somebody getting mad at Jesus and going, well, why aren't you over here feeding these people? Why aren't you handing it out? He's like, man, I'm over here providing the food. And those disciples have learned something, every single one of them. Wait a second. We're all supposed to do this. It's not just a few. We all participate in this healing, teaching, and preaching ministry. And so we see Jesus expects us all to do ministry, expect us all to serve. Let's continue in Luke chapter 9. Church, are you still with me here? Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And that's a great question. At this time, there's different ideas about who Jesus really is. Huh, same situation today many different views about who Jesus really is. And in fact, this is what our sermon series is trying to address. Who is Jesus really? And they say here, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah to others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asks, Who do you say I am? It's important that his followers have the right clear understanding of who Jesus is. Because if they're off in any way, that's going to affect their faith, that's going to affect their behavior, and the ministry will start to what? Deviate from what Jesus has been doing. And so it's important that those who want to follow Jesus have a clear understanding of who he really is, and the same applies for us today in 2023. Because again, if you have a false idea of Jesus, then it will affect your following, your faith, and ultimately, your standing with God. Because if you have this false view and then you start following this false view, guess what? That will affect your standing with God. And you may think, man, I'm in the right spots. But no, you've been following a false version of Jesus the whole time. So this question is vital, isn't it, church? Church. And this is, again, why we're studying out. And Peter says, what does he say? He says, you are God's Messiah. He says, you are God's Messiah. You're the long-awaited king, the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who, who is the anointed one, the Christ, which has been prophesied for hundreds of years now. You are it. Peter's feeling really good about himself. And in Mark, I believe it says how he was able to understand this is that God had revealed it to him. He said, look, I'm going to allow you to get this little glimpse. And they don't fully capture what that meant, but but they got it right right there. And it's interesting that no matter how many times you and I can share the good news with each other, with others, it always comes down to us having a personal discovery of Jesus. So even as we study it out, we can provide all these tools and sources and resources. However, every single one of us has to make a personal choice to initiate and discover who Jesus really is. You guys get what I'm saying? And so even for us parents, our kids, they have to make their own choice, but we have a responsibility to lead them to the real Jesus so that they can make their own choice. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are they seeing in our homes? Are they seeing religiosity or are they seeing the real Jesus? Are they seeing us sacrifice for God or are they seeing us sacrifice God for other things? Ooh, homework, grades, a college, whatever the case may be. What are they seeing? What's being communicated, whether it's verbal or nonverbal communication? I have to ask and wrestle with this all the time. Let's continue. Luke 9, 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. He said, hey, don't tell this to anyone. Why? Why would he say such a thing? Well, many of us believe that if the disciples went and started saying, hey, here's the Messiah, here's the Messiah, those people would hear it and get the wrong idea. Because they're expecting a military king. And Jesus doesn't want that to stop his ministry at this point. So we continue. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Whoa. Think about this for a second. You're the apostles. You're the disciples. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? You got it right. I'm the Messiah. Wow, that's awesome. The long-awaited king, the one we've been waiting on, the one that's been promised. And they're thinking, okay, well, he's going to be a king the way King David was. He's going to be this powerful figure. And then we're going to have a kingdom that's going to be even better than the kingdoms in the past, the kingdoms that we had heard about. And he's going to conquer all these foreign lands. And so that's the picture and the image that they would have during this time. And then Jesus turns the whole thing upside down. And what does he say? Hey, guess what the Messiah is going to be like? He's going to suffer. Not only is he going to suffer, he's going to be rejected. Not only is he going to be rejected, but then he's going to be killed. What? What did you just say? Wait, if you're God's Messiah, you're supposed to come in? And Jesus says, no, 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 guys. This is why I don't want you to tell anybody, because you won't get it until you understand who the real Messiah is and what he's supposed to do. The Messiah is not going to come and kill, but he's going to be killed. He's not going to conquer wicked foreign foreign nations, but he's going to conquer death itself. He's not just going to save a nation. He's coming to save mankind. And he's going to raise from the grave, which nobody would see coming, proving himself to be what? God's Messiah. And so Jesus turns this whole idea on its head. And then we continue in this context. Remember, this is what he just said. He's revealing. I'm sure that the guys are wrestling with this. And here's what he says in verse 23, which many of us in our church are familiar with. He says, then to them all. Again, this is the context. I just told you that the Messiah, he's going to suffer now here's, what I'm, now, here's the next line for you. He says, guess what? Whoever, whoa, 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 excuse me, go back here. He says, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's the context of our church's famous Luke nine twenty three passage. It's right after hearing about how the Lord, the Messiah is going to suffer. Guess what? If anybody wants to be a Christian, guess what? you're going to suffer too. You're going to have a life where there's going to be challenges and rejection. And he says, whoever, so who does that apply to? Everybody. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Interchange the word with Christian right there. Whoever wants to be a Christian must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. You see, the real Jesus here, or then he goes on. Let's let's continue reading. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus has some real expectations here. And here's the expectation. He expects real discipleship. He expects real discipleship. And what does that mean? That means to follow Jesus, not just to claim to like Jesus, not just say, oh, you know what, I I, I like what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. Your, Your speech is so inspiring. But to actually follow in his footsteps, to receive suffering, to take rejection, and to keep going forward so that one day, too, we will rise with our heavenly Father. And so Jesus here expects real discipleship. What does he say? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus, his expectation for his followers is you're going to have a lifestyle where you deny yourself. You're going to deny yourself of sin, but you're going to deny yourself of things that are contrary to my teachings and my lifestyle. He didn't say it's an optional thing. He says this is a must. You guys hear what I'm saying? He said, you got to carry your cross. The cross meant the utmost self-denial here. It meant, spiritually speaking, to to die to oneself. And again, the context is what? He says, guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to take on the cross. So you too are going to have to take up a cross. So Jesus is calling them to what? What he's doing, but even more so. He does even more than what we can even accomplish or achieve. This isn't just a bunch of sunshine and lemonade. He says, "No, you're going to have to deny yourself and then follow me." We're all familiar with being a follower of something. We follow uh, people's Instagram, their TikToks, right? All these. He said, that, "That's not the type of following that I'm looking for. That's not what I expect. I don't want you to agree with me. I want you to actually follow me. The way I move, I want you to move. The way I think, I want you to think." The way I behave, the way I speak, the way I do people, this is how you're supposed to view and act as well. He has expectations on how Christians should live. You know, Christ calls his disciples to committed action and demands more than a simple confession of faith. It's more than coming down and doing an altar call, it's more than coming down and saying a nice little prayer. He says, No, it's going to require you to change your lifestyle, and not just once. But daily, deny, carry a cross, follow him, are the expectations for being a true Christian. Anything less means you're following not the real Jesus, a different false version of Jesus. And he goes in some more here. Church, are you still with me here? Look at this. Look at this. Luke 9. Oh, man, I love this passage. It's so challenging. He says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds good, right? Hey, I will go wherever you go. And Jesus said, man, that's what's up. I'm fired up, man. Let's go get some chicken wings. No, that's not quite what, what Luke remembers. He says, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Wow, he didn't seem really fired up about this. I, I think he is, but I think this is also somewhat, hey, you got to count the cost. If you're going to follow me. Oh, man, there's so many blessings, but you got to count the costs. Then he goes on. He, now, Jesus said to another man, hey, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. That seems like a very reasonable thing to do. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Whoo! I thought Jesus was like Mr. Rogers. He just says nothing but nice things. He's Elmo. You know what I'm saying? Jesus goes over here. Man, and we'll break this down here in a second here. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And all the parents are like, yes. Jesus said, oh, yeah, go ahead. In fact, tell him I said hi. <laughs> Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Whoa. See, the real Jesus expects full commitment. The real Jesus expects full commitment. He doesn't expect anything less. He's not asking for, hey, you know what? Just give me half commitments. I would love it if you just could give me a tenth of your time. Jesus expects full commitments. We go back, and what happens? The first guy says, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. However, Jesus Jesus didn't just just jump up for joy for this. I believe he's happy. I I believe this is good. But I also believe this is somewhat of a test. And I also think he's trying to teach him, hey, you're going to have to trust me. Look, I don't have anywhere to go. So if you're going to follow me, that means you're going to have to trust me. I'm a God of provision. And I think he's also trying to teach him, hey, look, I don't live for the material world. Hey, look, look, I don't even have a place to stay. And so if you're going to follow me, that means we're scrapping being materialistic. Ooh, that's tough for us in America, isn't it? Then the second man says, hey, can I just bury my father first? You see, here's, here's something important here for us to understand the context, even more so and how challenging this really was of a statement by Jesus. You see, the Jews at this time, they considered a proper burial as of utmost importance. To leave a father unburied was something that would be scandalous to a Jew. The duty of burial took precedence over the study of the law, the temple service, the killing of the Passover sacrifice, and even the observance of circumcision. So all these nice things that God wants to do, like, hey, look, what takes precedence over all that? You go bury your father. And what did Jesus say to this? Let the dead bury the dead. Whoa! Man, that sounds offensive. Like, man, how rude. How, how could you be so mean? Well, let's, let, let, again, let, let, let's, Let's take the point here, but let's also present a couple options here. It's possible that the father, many scholars believe, they all vary on different opinions here. It's possible the father actually wasn't dead yet. And so what he's saying is, if the father's not dead, is hey, hey, he's going to pass, but let me, I'll follow you once he passes. So let me put this on hold. This I want to follow you, but let me follow you. Let me put a pause on this. I'll get to you after this. Another possibility is that he was actually referring to having to wait to rebury his father's bones. You see, at this time here, um, uh, what what people would do is they would bury their parents, but then about a year later, after the flesh rotted out, they would then take the bones and then they would rebury them. You guys get what I'm saying here, right? So they found these things. I forgot what they're technically called. I should have wrote it down. And so that's also a possibility is that he's saying, you know what? I just buried my dad, but I'm going to have to rebury him, so I'll get to following you in a year. Or, hey, you know what? He's already dead. I just got to rebury him, so let me just go rebury him right now. And so you see here, what is Jesus saying? Regardless, hey, following me takes priority over anything. It takes priority even over your family's death. Then we have the last option where he says to the, hey, man, I just want to say bye to my parents. Jesus' response Hey, hey, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for this. You don't get it. You're going to have to be focused. You're going to have to be 100% committed to this. He's saying there's many reasons, but there's no excuse. I believe, personally, this is just Marcel Hall's opinion. I believe that all these things and instances were really a test for these people. My personal belief, this isn't thus saith the Lord here, okay? My personal belief, they would have said, okay, yeah, let's do it. I think Jesus would have said, hey, you know what? Go bury your dad, don't they come for I just want to see if you're really for me. I want to see if you have real full commitments. Hey, you want to say by your parents? Okay, cool. Hey, but you're going to follow me? Okay, you know what? We'll stop by that way. We'll stop by your parents' house. That, that's my personal belief. But I believe he was testing them to see, would you be fully committed or would you just be partially committed to me? You see, God did this with Abraham, didn't he? Didn't he test him? Hey, with his own son, Isaac? And then once Isaac passed the test, he's like, no, 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 no. That's not part of my plan. Here's my plan. But I see that you're what? Committed to me. You trust me. And so that's just my personal belief of what Jesus is doing here. But regardless here, we see that following Jesus is the number one priority. Let me introduce you to the real Jesus. Boy, boy, he has some expectations, doesn't he? You know, there's this idea of what, what some call easy believism in which you, you believe, and so you go to church, and maybe you have the right doctrine. In our church, you, you know, you got the doctrine all right, whatever, and, and, and you go to church services, but yet you live contrary to the Bible, similar to what John was talking about earlier. Easy believism. Or there's this partial commitment to Christ. But see, if we don't have a lifestyle in which there's denial, there's a carrying of a cross, metaphorically speaking, if there's not a true following, that we're not following the real Jesus. And so we have to make a decision, and we have to understand the real Jesus has real expectations. So, brothers and sisters, here's the question we have to ask. Am I holding to Jesus' expectations? Do my expectations of Christianity and his expectations, do they match? Does my lifestyle reflect his expectations? And for many of us, we have to ask, am I still holding on? Am I still holding Holding to the expectations of Jesus. I did it 20 years ago, but am I still doing it today? As I was studying this out, the Holy Spirit convicted me, Marcel, you make sure that you hold to these expectations. And I had to write down. I wrote down on my little, my little notes there, and I said, I better make sure I do this before I can hold the church to it. Because I can't get up here and preach it if I don't hold to it myself, and so that's how the Spirit's speaking in me. I appreciate that brother saying, hey, if you don't see it in me, go ahead and call it out. And so I have the same conviction that if you don't see it in me, then boy, I better repent and make sure that I hold to the expectations that Jesus has for my life. So ask yourself, are you holding to Jesus' expectations? And if you're not, then today's a chance to renew that. If you say, well, I don't really know. I never knew about it. Today's a chance to get introduced to it. And I encourage you to study the Bible and get some help. But for all of us, here's what we can do is we can carry our cross. That's what he says there. You know, we have to be more concerned about carrying this cross around our shoulders than carrying those little cute crosses around our necks. We have to go ahead and carry that cross and say, yes, I'm in the valley today, but I'm going to carry the cross. And I'm going to carry that cross until I reach the mountaintop. Because that's Jesus' expectation. And guess what? He expects me to follow in his footsteps because that's what he did first. He's not calling us to do something he didn't do. And in fact, we can't even drink that cup in which he had. And so we got to carry our cross, brothers and sisters. And so that was one of the things I wrote down. I said, okay, man, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray every day. God, hey, hey, help me to carry my cross today. I need to be reminded of that imagery. Because if we do, then we can participate in this renewal, in this revival of knowing, following, and showing Jesus in our community. Just imagine if we had a whole church full of hundreds of people who held to the expectations of Jesus. I believe society's view of Jesus would then start to become more accurate. I believe that easy believism would be spotted out and rejected by those in the faith and would even be spotted and rejected by those outside of the faith. Because they say, no, 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 I know what the real Jesus is supposed to look like because those guys over there, they're actually doing it. That stuff you're presenting, you're a phony. I believe also our communities would hear correct preaching of God's word People being healed and helped spiritually and physically. And our kids and the next generation would be inspired to know, to follow, and show the real Jesus to their peers. Just imagine if we had a whole church who held true to the expectations of Jesus. Brothers, sisters, let's crawl, walk, and run. Let's, Let's get on that journey here, today here. So here's some practical things here as we close out. Action step and prayer for the week here. First thing here, answer that question, does my life match Jesus' expectation? And then number two here, pray with us daily that we will all carry our cross and hold to Jesus' expectations for us. The real Jesus has expectations, to be participants, not spectators, to serve and to contribute, True discipleship and a full commitment. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever will lose their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Brothers and sisters, may we hold to the expectations of the real Jesus. Amen.